Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Hello, and welcome to this final episode on the Ten Commandments. Guys, we did it, or at least in about half an hour, we will have done it. (laughs) We will have reached the end of part three of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And that means that all we have left is a very short section on prayer, and then we will have finished the entire Catechism. That is insane. Congratulations, well done. Good on us. (laughs) So let's get into it. Let's wrap up these Ten Commandments. Now, the Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And as we said in the last episode, we're kind of ending at the beginning. We're ending where it all starts, which is with the heart. So the focus of this commandment is on avoiding an unjust or excessive desire for things that don't belong to us. Now, that's a really important clarification. We're talking about unjust or excessive desire. There is nothing wrong in and of itself with desiring things. In fact, it is good to desire things. Desire, that hunger of the heart, it can be one of the things that motivates us to seek the good. Point 2535 of the Catechism says that the sensitive appetite leads us to desire pleasant things that we do not have. So the desire to eat when we are hungry or to warm ourselves when we are cold. These desires are good in themselves. So we can remember the words of Genesis. God saw that it was good. The things of the earth are good and it is okay to want them. In fact, if we thought that material stuff was bad and that we shouldn't desire it at all, we would actually be falling into a heresy. It's called Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is the error of thinking that only the spirit is good and that the body or the material world is bad. So poverty of spirit doesn't mean that we don't want to have anything and we should rid ourselves of all our desires in a kind of Buddhist way. Desire only becomes a problem when we become overly attached to stuff or we just try to seek things that don't belong to us. So the catechism refers to situations where our desires exceed the limits of reason and drive us to covet unjustly what is not ours and belongs to another or is owed to him. So there are two things in there that we have to look out for. Desires that exceed the limits of reason. So in other words, we're going beyond what we actually need and coveting unjustly what is not ours. So things that we actually don't have a right to. So let's unpack each of those, beginning with the desire for things that we don't actually need. I think so often, I think especially these days, we kind of throw that word need around. It's like in The Princess Bride. You keep saying that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> often we use that word need in reference to stuff that we actually just really want. <laughs> and maybe we really, really, really want it. Or we might be convinced that it will make us happier. 
But that doesn't automatically mean that it's a need. So, for example, the other day I found a link online to these wearable bean bags. <laughs> so it's like a bean bag, you know, that you sit on, except it's got a hole in the middle and armholes so you can literally put it on and like walk around the house in it and then just drop to the ground wherever you are and be completely comfortable. And I literally screenshot it and I sent it to my little sister with the caption, I need this. <laughs> And then I laughed at myself because like literally no one in the world needs a wearable beanbag. It's like the ultimate example of a created need. And sometimes it, okay, it might not be something so superficial. Sometimes that line between need and want is actually genuinely quite gray. So for instance, I might think, well, I need a new phone because my current phone has gotten a bit slow and clunky and the battery is starting to wear out. Now, depending on who I am, you know, what my job is or what my responsibilities are, I might actually need a new phone in that situation. However, for other people, you know, maybe I'm someone who can kind of get by fine with a slower phone. Maybe I actually don't need a new phone. And what I'm thinking of as a need is actually coming from a kind of deeper place of not wanting to be inconvenienced, not being able to suffer in those small kind of everyday ways. And I think this is particularly a problem in wealthier countries where we actually tend to have the means to access pretty much anything that we want. And we can end up creating needs for ourselves. There's a sermon by St. Basil the Great, who was an early church father. He talks about that gospel passage in Luke chapter 12, about the guy who has a really great harvest. And he says, oh, I've got all of this extra grain. I'm going to pull down my barns and build bigger barns to store it in build bigger barns. I dare you to try to say that 10 times fast. (laughs) And St. Basil points out that this can so easily be us. When we have increased means at our disposal, our quote unquote needs can also increase. So for instance, maybe I start my first full-time job and suddenly I'm earning a lot more money And I can kind of pull down my barns and build bigger ones. I start thinking, okay, well, now I have money. Now I need a better watch and a better car and a bigger house. So we can see an example of this in the book, The Wind in the Willows. If you haven't read The Wind in the Willows, you absolutely should, even if you're a grown up, because it is wonderful. So there's this character called Toad, and he is literally a toad, (laughs) and he's enormously wealthy, and he basically has money to burn. So he's always buying new stuff and getting obsessed with different sort of material things. And everything he buys, it's always something bigger and better than the last thing that he bought. So... At first, when you meet him in the story, he's obsessed with boats and he buys a boat and he gets around telling everyone that this is the only way to travel. And then he discovers caravans and he decides, oh, no, that's the only way to travel. So he buys a caravan and he's showing it off to everyone. And then he discovers cars and becomes completely obsessed with them. And I love this quote. When he first finds out about cars, he says, and to think I never knew. All of those wasted years that lie behind me. But now, now that I know, now that I fully realize, oh, what a flowery track lies spread before me henceforth. And what I love about that quote is that it kind of captures that attitude that we can have to material things. 
we can convince ourselves that if only, if only we can obtain that bigger, better thing, then now we will finally be happy. But of course, I mean, we all know material things can't truly make us happy. The only person who can make us truly happy is, surprise, surprise, God. Now, the problem with materialism isn't just that it can be bad for us personally. The problem is also that it can be a sin against justice, because the more that I consume, ultimately, the more that I'm actually taking from someone else who has less. So if we think of like the the resources of the world, it's not like this kind of infinite well that we can all just dip into and take whatever we want out of it. And everyone has equal access. It's more like a pie, right? And the bigger slice of the pie that I get, the smaller someone else's slice is going to be. So if I were to buy 10 investment properties, then that means that there are 10 fewer houses available for people who don't even have one. Or if I'm, you know, hoarding my money and earning as much as I possibly can or spending it on things that I don't need, maybe I'm ultimately withholding money from the poor who need it. So this is something that we need to remember that that extra stuff that I accumulate might not even belong to me. It might actually belong by right to someone else. St. Basil has this famous quote. He says, The bread that you store belongs to the hungry. The clothes you accumulate belong to the naked. The shoes that you have in your closet are for the barefoot. The money you bury deep into the ground to keep it safe belongs to the poor. So rather than kind of patting ourselves on the back when we give away our extra possessions, we should instead have the attitude of the servants in Luke chapter 17. We have done only what we ought to have done. Now, the catechism makes an interesting point in point 2537. It says that it is not a violation of this commandment to desire to obtain things that belong to one's neighbor, provided that this is done by just means. So what is the catechism saying there? Basically, it's saying that sometimes it's actually okay to desire and to seek to obtain things that don't technically belong to me, provided that I do it in a just way. So think of it like this. Imagine that I need a new car and my friend has the exact model that I'm looking for and I've heard on the grapevine that he's actually thinking of selling it. So I go to my friend and I'm like, hey, I would love to buy your car off you. And he's like, sure. (laughs) Okay, obviously something like that is totally okay because I'm trying to acquire something that I actually need from someone else via just means. Now, If I were to try to coerce my friend into selling their car to me, or if I wouldn't take no for an answer, then that's when we might be sinning against this commandment. Another way that we can sin against this commandment is when we might not actively take something from someone else, but maybe in our hearts, we want them to have less so that we can have more. So again, returning to the idea that what happens in our hearts matters. So the Roman Catechism, which is an older catechism written after the Council of Trent, gives the examples of those who hope that their peers will be impoverished in order to realize a profit, physicians who wish disease to spread, lawyers who are eager for many important cases and trials. 
And sometimes we might not even be fully aware that this is what we're doing, that we're sort of wishing ill for someone else. Maybe it's kind of deep inside us that we're sort of cherishing a secret hope that, you know, my colleague doesn't get that sale at work because I really want to get a bonus. So we have to be aware of and careful to avoid that immoderate desire for goods, especially at the expense of the good of others. Now, there is a word that we haven't used so far in relation to this commandment, but it actually lies right at the heart of it. And that word is envy. The Catechism defines envy in point 2538 as sadness at the sight of another's goods and the immoderate desire to acquire them for oneself. Now, envy is one of the seven capital sins, and they're called capital sins because they're basically the OG sins, right? They're the foundational ones that sit under all of our wrongdoing. So envy, pride, avarice, lust, gluttony, anger, and sloth or laziness. Now, sometimes we can fall into thinking that envy is kind of harmless, especially when we compare it to some of those other sins like pride or gluttony or anger. In comparison, envy can seem like, I mean, it's not great, but it's also not a big deal if I'm just feeling a bit jealous. And look, maybe at first it might not be a serious sin, but the Catechism says in point 2538 that envy can lead to the worst crimes. When we allow that seed of envy to grow, it can actually lead us to really hurt the people around us in the pursuit of the things that we want. We end up treading on other people to get to the things that we desire. So, for example, David in the Old Testament takes the life of Uriah because he's fallen in love or in lust with his wife Bathsheba. And then in the book of Wisdom, chapter two, it says something so interesting. It says, through the devil's envy... Death entered the world. Let's pause and think about that for a second. Envy, which is ultimately a form of pride, envy is what the devil tempted Adam and Eve with, right? He played on their desire to be like God, to have the knowledge of good and evil that God has. And he encouraged them to resent God for being more powerful than they were. Now, of course, envy won't always lead us to like murder people or commit serious sins, but it can lead us to just kind of become unpleasant or unhappy people. C.S. Lewis talks about this in a short story called Screwtape Proposes a Toast, which is a kind of follow up to the Screwtape letters. In this story, the devil Screwtape talks about how envy can lead us to something that today we might call the tall poppy syndrome, which is when we try to bring other people down to our level because we resent them for being better than us. And in our own lives, that can come out in, you know, gossiping about other people or putting them down or being competitive. So envy may not make us terrible people, but it can steal our joy from us and distract us from the things that are truly important. Now, here we have to distinguish between true envy and a kind of innocent or even positive, quote unquote, envy. So there are times when, say, I see someone who is really virtuous and really good and they're doing really wonderful things with their life. And I think, wow, I wish I were like that. And it actually inspires me to be better. That feeling that desire to obtain what the other person has 
that can actually be a good thing if, if it draws me upward and it doesn't require me to tear the other person down. The problem is when I see a person's virtue or goodness and I try to kind of diminish it or take it away from them in order to make myself feel better. I try to bring them down instead of raising myself up. I'm sure most of us have had that experience, right? Well, you know, we're having a perfectly fine day. Everything's going fine. And then suddenly we see, you know, maybe a social media post from someone whose life looks kind of perfect and amazing. And suddenly we start to feel really sad and anxious and we start comparing ourselves with that person and wishing that they weren't quite so successful. That is an example of envy. And envy, my sister always says this to me. She's like, Caitlin, comparison is the thief of joy. (laughs) Envy steals our joy. Point 2540 says that envy represents a form of sadness and therefore a refusal of charity. The baptized person should struggle against it by exercising goodwill. And this is where we come to our final point, which is a discussion of how we can avoid envy. Now, the best way to avoid envy is through goodwill or charity, love. First and foremost, love of God. Because if we don't love God and we don't truly, sincerely believe that he is the greatest good and the only thing that will truly make us happy, then we will end up seeking happiness in the immoderate pursuit of material things. We'll replace God with stuff. We'll treat things as an end rather than as a means. I was listening to a homily recently from Bishop Barron, and he was talking about the beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And he pointed out that that phrase, pure of heart, can also be translated as single-heartedness. In other words, to have a heart that has one single goal, which is to love God and to which all other things are subordinated. And he pointed out that that word blessed can also be translated as happy. So happy are the single-hearted. And it's so true, right, that when God is our number one, when everything is oriented towards him, it actually makes us happy because it frees us to love the things of this world in a healthy, joyful way and not in a kind of envious, grasping way. And this leads us to the second way that we can avoid envy, which is through detachment from worldly goods. So, as we already said, detachment doesn't mean that we don't care about things. It means that we love them, we use them, we enjoy them, but we don't cling to them. We're prepared when necessary to let them go. So, for example, I have a friend who um, has been saving money to buy a house, which is perfectly legitimate, right, to save up to buy something that you need. However, recently, one of her immediate family members was diagnosed with a serious illness, and she took those savings and used them to pay for her relative's medical treatment. Now, that's pretty amazing, right? Like, I'm in awe. I don't know what I would do in that situation. It's pretty above and beyond, but that's the level of detachment that we're aiming for. We should be able to have things and use them, but if we see that someone needs them more, we should be prepared to part from them. Another way that we can avoid envy is to learn to love things and appreciate their goodness without necessarily needing to physically possess them. This is a form of detachment, ultimately. 
So I remember having this light bulb moment a few years ago when I was sitting on the bus on my way to work and this girl got on and she was wearing the most incredible pair of sneakers. They were so cool. And my first thought when I saw them was, oh my gosh, where can I get a pair of those? I think I even like took out my phone and was like, oh, where can I find these? And then I suddenly stopped and I was like, whoa, why is it that my knee-jerk reaction to seeing something that I like is where can I get that? Why do I automatically want to possess that thing? Why can't I just look at those sneakers and think, wow, those are really cool sneakers, the end. (laughs) And this can be really useful when we see something that we like, maybe something in a shop or something when we're online and we immediately want it, maybe instead of trying to obtain it straight away, We can just take a moment to appreciate it and admire it, to see its beauty, to take delight in its goodness, to thank God for its existence, and then move on. And it's crazy. Like, I've noticed when I do that, I mean, I suck at it, but when I'm able to do it, almost straight away, that craving to physically possess the thing actually starts to diminish because, in a sense, I have possessed it on a deeper level. You know, I have known it and enjoyed it without having to own it. And we kind of get this instinctively, right? Like if you went into a, you know, a friend's house and you're like, wow, I really love that painting on your wall. Can I take it home? (laughs) That would be like weird and socially inappropriate and uncool, right? Because we understand that, you know, we can love and enjoy things without needing to possess them. And if we do need to possess them, there's a kind of selfishness and individualism in that. And the same goes for people, right? Like when I hear about a friend's achievements and I'm tempted to feel envious, I can press pause and actually just take a moment to appreciate and take joy in the goodness of that thing in and of itself. I can think, oh, wow, how wonderful for my friend that she's been given that opportunity. Isn't it good that she has that good thing? And it sounds idealistic, but really it is a form of love and goodwill, learning how to love other people and other things selflessly in a way that will make us happier than if we were just trying to kind of snatch at them to obtain them for ourselves. And then finally, we can avoid envy by learning to say no to ourselves. Point 2549 of the Catechism says that in order to possess and contemplate God, Christ's faithful mortify their cravings and with the grace of God prevail over the seductions of pleasure and power. So mortifying our cravings means learning how to moderate our desires so that they don't have control over us. So that means saying no to ourselves in little ways throughout the day. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic or huge. In fact, smaller things are often better because they're sustainable. So maybe, you know, we can have a few more veggies with our dinner or delay checking our phones for five more minutes or get out of bed straight away when our alarm goes off. All of these little things will help us to grow stronger so that we're not ruled by those desires, those passions that can lead us into envy. So this is my challenge to all of us over the next fortnight. And it's particularly appropriate that we are in the middle of Lent right now because this is actually a real focus during Lent. That is to mortify ourselves in at least one small way every day, to pick a concrete thing and try to live it every day to grow in strength and detachment and love of God by saying no to ourselves. 
Okay, that's it. We did it. Ten Commandments done. Yay. This marks the end of part three of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Woohoo! Next episode, we're going to begin part four, which is a discussion on prayer. Amazing. I can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight and I will talk to you soon. Bye.